Welcome to The King's Table, a podcast set of King's Hill Church in Boston where we seek to elevate the Bible over opinion, answering the questions you have. I'm your host, Jonathan Mosley. Today we have a special guest with us, Betsy Bullock. She's joined us before in episode seven. I want to read the Bible, but where do I start? She was also our speaker for our 2021 Women's Retreat, and we had such great feedback from the retreat that we've invited her to share here what she shared there. Enjoy. Well, Betsy, it is so great to have you back on the podcast. Oh, I love it. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, hey, we'll dive in. You you shared some incredible things there. Uh, we recorded all of the sessions and posted them on YouTube and was able to, to listen to a lot of what you spoke about and very, very encouraged. I remember at the retreat, you talked about the story of Onesimus and Philemon and how that story in the book of the Bible, it, it can be almost overlooked. It's it's not very long, but how that story is much like our story. Mm-hmm. So how does our understanding of this book of the Bible and that story in particular affect our story? Yeah. So I think it is something that we often skip over. You know, it doesn't even have multiple chapters. It literally is just like one chapter. And I think the thing that stuck out to me is one of the major things I see as a woman, as a female, I'll say, I'm sure it's the same for men. It's just identity issues, right? Like our identity may be shaped in our sexuality. It may be shaped in our job. It may be shaped in our family of origin. Uh, But we're always looking for places for our identity to land. And I think our story, oftentimes we forget that if we are in Christ, our identity was once a sinner and a slave to sin. Um, And we were what would be called useless, really, or worthless, um, because we were bent out of what we were created to be, right? And you see that in Genesis, that we were crafted and created in the image of God. And as a result of the fall, um, since then, we have been living out of our status as really image bearers of God, seeking to live Um, what he's called us to live and to live for his kingdom and his glory. And so we see that with Onesimus' story is that he was a servant. Um, He was a servant of uh, Philemon's and he actually stole from um, Philemon. And so I think about that a lot, about that's how we were. We were once people that stole the very breath that God had given us, that stole the days that he's given us, that everything we have, whether you're a believer or not a believer, is from God. Um, Every gift we have, this water bottle sitting beside me, the computer, everything that I have, my hands that I'm talking with right now are all from God. And we are truly stealing from his good gifts of grace and mercy um, when we live for ourselves. And we live as what Philemon says, useless, um, that or that Paul writes to Philemon that he once was useless to you. And that's how we were. We were basically just taking up. Um, space in this world as useless people who loved ourselves. Um, And that was our story. Uh, But that's no longer our story anymore. That we are now, it says at the very end that we are now, um, Paul says, I'm going to send my heart, Onesimus, my heart back to you. Um, And I think that's what, that's the great transition. That's the great um, transformation that we see that we once were in a domain of darkness, living a worthless life only for ourselves, only seeking after our own good, which is quickly going to pass away when we die um, and not seeking after kingdom good, um, after God's good. And um, what most people don't know is that Onesimus' name means useful. And so Paul is playing on words here saying he once was useless, right? He, he once was living out of his 
own flesh, out of his own desires for his own kingdom that would pass away. But now he is useful to you. He is living out of his namesake. And so that's our story. We once were bent out image bearers, um, seeking to image ourselves, seeking to love ourselves, living a worthless life. And now under the kingdom of God, we are useful to him. We are objects of great mercy and praise. We are ministers of reconciliation. We are faithful women and men of God who care about the glory of God and not just ourselves. And so that's what this, the truth is. And it says in 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's what we are. And I think it's important for us to understand where we've come from and where he's taken us. And I think that's the problem in our world today is we don't really recognize that we are useless sinners. And that sounds like a really horrific, bold statement because I want to be awesome in my own flesh. Like I want to be useful. And when I recognize where I once was, my status of a, of a person that was taking from God instead of living for God um, and see the worthlessness in that, Man, what joy comes when he stamps me as his own and he writes my name in the Lamb's Book of Life and he proclaims to the world, this is my beloved daughter and well done, good and faithful servant. You have a purpose, right? It says in Philippians, like you have great works planned beforehand that you would walk in them. And so we transfer our identity from useless to useful. And that's really Onesimus's story in that. Yeah, I love that, Bessie. You know, uh, out of this reality that we've been brought from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, we've been given new purpose. We've been given mm-hmm. new meaning. Uh, and that all flows from this new identity that right. we are now a, a child of God. And I, I love what Tim Keller says. He says, it really is only in the Christian faith where your identity is not achieved, but it's received. Mm, so I, don't good. To, I don't have to work for it anymore. I don't have mm. to work to to stand out or to make much of me or uh, I, I don't work for my own righteousness or justification for my existence. I I, I receive it. Jesus yeah. is the one who makes me his. And I just have to believe. Mm-hmm. But I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what you shared at the retreat. And what are some of those things that makes us work for our worth? When Christ mm. has already won that for us. Mm, yeah, I, I think I think that's something that I find myself doing a lot. Like I I think I want to be useful in and of myself. Like I want to I want to work for what Christ has done. I mean, Paul even writes to to Philemon, like he anything that he owes you, charge it to me, right? Anything. And that's so Jesus, right? Like to 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 take the way of my sin on the cross, that anything that I owed God, the father, it was charged to Jesus. And I want to pay that back. That's what I want to do because I want to find my identity in the good things that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the things that I, that I achieve. Um, I think by nature we are, especially as Americans, but even in other, other nations, other, other peoples, they, they desire, right. To, to make it, um, a workspace that I did this, I reached this pinnacle. Mm. And I think it's because we make that moment of that great exchange, right? Or, or that season of salvation that we once were like this useful people. We forget that we have like this amnesia 
that somehow we saved ourselves at some point, even though I know I go, I can go and think about the times that I was running hard away from the Lord. I know I did nothing to turn, right? Like I know it was him that pulled me. And I think it's forgetting that it's forgetting our, our proclivity, our bent towards sin and thinking that I'm better thinking that I'm going to choose Christ. And I can't do that apart from him because it says in Romans that while we were still weak, right at the right time, Christ died for us. And so when Christ died for me, if I was still weak, I don't just automatically become strong, right? In 2 Corinthians, it says that his grace, his power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly um, because where I'm weak, he is strong. And so I think we don't want to admit that we are weak women, uh, weak men that are desperate for the Lord. And so we look to, look what I did, look what I achieved, or um, look how awesome I am compared to this other person. And we want to measure ourselves based on people or based on work instead of really understanding like I have nothing to offer. It's just Christ alone. And we don't realize how freeing that is um, to us. Like it says, it continues on in Romans. It says, since, um, since, therefore we have now been justified by the blood. How much more will he save us from the wrath of God? Mm. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we rejoice through Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Mm. And so since um, that word in verse nine was defined at the time when we were the nastiest of people running away from God, living um, for Satan, living for our own selves. Like since he showed us such great love then, why would he not continue to do so? And I think we want to try to earn that. I do. I want to try to to make it about me. And um, I think we just try to place our security, our refuge, our hope in people because it, because we don't think we deserve it. And we're right. We don't. I don't deserve God's grace. And yet he shows it to me. And to sit under that is a very uncomfortable thing because there's nothing in this world that we don't get usually without earning it, right? I work for my salary. I, um, you know, I work to, well, I don't work out, but if I did work out, like I would, to get muscle, I have to work out. So everything in life is a, is an exchange, right? But so we're not comfortable with bringing nothing to the table and that's the gospel. And we have to preach that to ourselves every day. And it's easy to try to make it about us and not about him. And I think it just comes from reminding ourselves of what we once were and what he's making us now. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I think about if I'm, if I'm talking to my, my girls, I have three, mm-hmm. uh, three, uh, th- three, three and under for the most part. Y'all are amazing people. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're, we're learning as we go. And, but you know, if my, if, if our oldest says, Daddy, what? Why do you love me? I'm I'm not gonna say. Well, because you take out the trash. Mm. You can't, <laughs> or <laughs> because, because yeah. you clean the room. She can't do that either. Mm-hmm. It's it's I love you because I love you. That's right. it. There isn't. Uh, uh, I've 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 chosen to love you. Of no mm-hmm. merit on your own. You are mine, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. by by nature of being mine, you have my love. Mm. You know? And there's nothing she has to do to earn that. And, That's right. Uh, and that, that is the gospel. We were not his, but by his grace, he has made us his. Mm-hmm. And he loves us because he loves us. If mm-hmm. we put anything else in that blank, he loves us because based on our own doing, it would be moralism. 
and it would that's be right. the workspace righteousness. But mm-hmm. he loves us because he loves us. That's, mm-hmm. that's the good news of the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think uh, just kind of expanding this point further, sometimes we you know we hear that God loves us, but we struggle to feel God's love, right? We struggle mm-hmm. to feel that God is near. Sometimes mm-hmm. he can seem distant or far away, maybe even silent. How do we combat these feelings? Yeah, I think that's something really, at least, again, I'm a woman. And so I'm going to speak from a woman's perspective. A lot of women, not all, but a lot of women can really rely on their feelings to define their faith. Instead of really relying on the father of our faith, the God of all mercies, to really define what we believe. And so if I feel God is distant, that must be true, right? If I feel he's silent, that must be true. And Lisa Turkers, I think, said it, that feelings are not dictators, they're indicators. Mm. And they indicate that something's happening in us, but they shouldn't dictate what's happening in us. And, you know, you think about Jesus in the garden. Um, you know, when he's crying and he's sweating, you know, drops of blood, um, you know, and he's like, father, you know, like if there be any other way, well, he could have felt, you know, in that moment, like that God was distant, but he knew the truth that God was with him, mm-hmm. even in the suffering. And I think that we're, uh, for me in particular, if things aren't going my way, or if I don't feel like the Bible is jumping off the pages to me, or it's not speaking to me, or it doesn't feel good then that defines who God is. And it defines my walk with the Lord. I think that's why we see many people walk away from the faith Mm. because, and and walk into lives of um, alcoholism or drugs or chasing the corporate ladder or um, dating men or women um, that, uh, that give them those feelings. Mm. Um, I think that that's the problem is that we feel that way and it's true. And that's just not what God says. God's word says something very different. Um, God's word doesn't disregard feelings, um, but it pushes past them. And I don't think we're good at pushing past those things. And so I just really think it's important for us to be a people that remember that it's not about feelings. It's about God, the father. And, um, and I always tell people get in the word, Dig into the word and let the word speak to your feelings. Pray and seek the Lord's face. And even if he feels distant, like he is not distant from you. Like, in fact, it says that in John 14, he does not leave us as orphans, but he comes to to live in us, right? To abide in us in John 15. And so to speak the word of truth to those feelings, because if Paul was in the desert for three years, Um, Job, when he lost everybody, right? Like Moses in the wilderness, like he, they, they didn't always hear from the Lord in the way they wanted, but he was a ball of fire, right? And a cloud by day. And, and so just remembering to, to ask the Lord to show you, um, that he is with you, um, and to trust him, even if you don't feel it. Yeah. And, and and something to even think about this further, you know, Mm. why would it be? kind of asking you here why is it important to understand that that before christ came to dwell in us and even before he came to die for us he dwelt among us i mean t- talk about education <laughs> and, and how that speaks to what you were just saying yeah well i hear a lot especially with counseling i hear a lot of people saying um i just want somebody to understand me 
I just, I don't feel understood. And I feel this certain way and nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. And I always talk about how Jesus was the most misunderstood, right? Like they're like, at this time, are you going to raise the, the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to come and defeat? And he's like, no, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. He wasn't the king that people were looking for. Um, but I think it's important to understand that, that it says in scripture that in every way he understands us, that in every way he is the only one that is um, immeasurable. He is the only one that we cannot understand or fathom the depths and the riches of. And he's the only one that can understand us. We don't even fully understand ourselves, Mm -hmm. but he came as a human, fully God and fully man, experiencing all ounces of suffering, all ounces of pain, every, every sorrow, everything that we could endure. He knows exactly what that was like. And so when people are like, I don't feel understood, right? You can't speak this to me because you don't get me. And I was like, but Jesus does. He fully understands you. So he's not, he's not only the savior that died for your sins. He's not only the savior that created this world by the word of his mouth. He's not only the savior, you know, that, that loves and cherishes you. He understands you. He dwelt among you. He isn't distant in your pain. He actually knows what it feels like and yet was without sin. And that is like no other religion. That is like no other um, except for him alone. And so this reality that he pitched his tent to live among us, that he cut his fingers, that he felt heartbreak, that he felt betrayal, that he laughed, that he cried, that he experienced every pain, every loss, every rejection without a moment of sin is incredible. And it should change everything about our faith. Everything, you know, like there is no other God. There is no other religion that could proclaim that, um, that he has dwelled with us. I love that. You know, often when something happens, whether it's of celebration or of concern, we typically will call that person Mm. who we feel most understands us, even (laughs) though we would admittedly say no one fully gets us, but we often call the person who Mm -hmm. most understands us. and. You know, with with what you just shared, mm. that that is the compelling reason for why we would want to go to Jesus first, mm-hmm. because He's the one who gets us inside mm-hmm. and out, even more so than we understand ourselves. And yeah. I remember something that really stuck out as women came back from the retreat. Uh, you know, they they said that you talked about this reality that God's dwelling is with man, mm-hmm. and now that. God dwells inside of us, and that really impacts our prayer life. Mm. You elaborate on that. Mm, yeah. So, again, I think I'm convinced we are not men and women that pray because we forget about the proximity of the one that we pray to, right? We think that, um, that you know, my sister and my brother, we live together. Like, I naturally want to go into Brittany's room and sit down on her bed and talk to her because she feels close to me in that moment, right? She's just six feet away from me, um, you know, and it feels like she's tangible, but really who's closer is actually the one that, that lives inside of me. I mean, nobody can get any closer than that. And so that reality of, I think if we understood his proximity to us and his power in and through us, um, it would, it would not be a, a, a people that we go to. It would be the person of Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit. And so, like I said, in John 14, he says he won't leave us as orphans, but he'll come to dwell with us. 
And so he's closer than my sister. He's closer than my best friend. He's closer than my accountability partner um, because he's literally with with us inside of us. And and he understands more about the issue that I need or the the tears that I've cried than they do. And he has better wisdom. Now they're great backups. Like I love people, and I think you know in John four. First John 4, it talks about test the spirits, go and, and meet with people, right? We need to read the word, we need to pray, and we need to seek wise counsel. But I think we don't pray because we want to go to people because they feel closer to us. It's just, it's far from the reality of that. Um, you know, that Jesus even said, I'm going to go and be with the Father. I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to go away and be with him, um, being fully God and fully man. And so I just think we don't understand the proximity for which he is. And we think that people are better because we can see them, we can touch them, but Christ is within us. Betsy, you know, as, as we're closing out here, uh, the, the word that just keeps coming to mind for me is hope that he, mm. is, he's the living hope. The fact that he rose from the dead and now that his spirit lives inside of me, he's my hope, my hope and mm-hmm. life and death. He is my hope in, in righteousness. Mm-hmm. He's my hope in my grief and in my joy. Mm-hmm. It all goes back to him. Well, thanks for joining us at the King's Table as we talked about finding our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. If you'd like more information or resources from King's Hill Church, you can visit us online at www.kingshillboston.com.